We're looking at the keys to spiritual unity here today on Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Join us. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. We welcome you to today's program and would invite you to join us as we continue with our series, Keys to Spiritual Unity. Now, one of those keys is avoiding something, something that we'll discuss here today. That's basically self-centeredness, ego, selfishness. You see, in order for unity to take place in the church, there needs to be a humility within our own lives first. With the details now, here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, also for the interests of others. You know, last week we looked at verses 1 and 2, basically, and it's coming off of chapter 1 where Paul instructs the Philippians to live a life uh, worthy in conduct of the gospel of Christ. And so coming off of that, he begins in chapter 2 kind of a list of things. He begins to kind of say, well, what does that look like? In verse 1, he says, if there is any consolation, any consolation at all, in Christ. And he's not asking a question here. We went over this last week. He's making a statement. So you could almost read that since there is consolation in Christ. That's kind of the idea. And when you stop and you think about that, there's no doubt in his mind that we have, nor should there be in any believer, that we have consolation in Christ. I think that it's it's over and over again throughout Scripture that Christ gives us much consolation. And then secondly, he said, do we have any comfort of love? Do we enjoy any comfort that comes from love? And obviously, we could say yes to that. And thirdly, he says, do we have any fellowship in the Spirit? Any fellowship of the Spirit? And we've all been baptized, if we're believers, into the body of Christ. We've been given the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've been given gifts of the Holy Spirit. And as the church, we're, we're referred to as the temple of God, and not only as the church, but as individuals that make up the church. Our bodies are classified as, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he encourages us to take care of ourselves. And not only by the same Spirit have we been baptized into one body in Christ, but we've all been made to drink of one Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us. And so that true communion, that true fellowship is with the Spirit. And then the fourth thing he mentioned was, do we have any affection or mercy. There's affection that comes from Jesus and from other brethren within the body of Christ. That's clear. And there's mercy that comes from our loving Heavenly Father above. And so all those benefits, all those things allow us to kind of weave into our life a conduct that is worthy of the gospel. That should be the motivation behind living the Christian life. And then in verse 2, he went on and he said, you know, fulfill my joy. In other words, boy, this is really going to please me if this, if this happens. That's what Paul's saying there. And the first thing he mentioned was being like-minded in verse 2. Be like-minded. Does that mean we're all robots? 
No. I went visited a church one time, and, and I think that everybody on this, definitely everybody on the staff of that church and most of the members of that church thought that they had to emulate their pastor in every possible way. And they had a big Bible college there, and when they, these guys would come out of their Bible college and they're preaching, they would preach just like this guy. I mean, tone, his mannerisms, when he would point and yell and scream, they would do everything exactly like it. It was scary. That's not what Paul's talking about here by making his joy complete. It's not being like-minded like a bunch of robots. That's not the idea. I mean, we're to emulate Christ. We're not to emulate any one person. And so when he says here being like-minded, it really means, as we talked about last week, to think the same thing, kind of the evidence of being one in Christ. And then he goes on, he says, not only be like-minded in the body of Christ, but he says, having the same love. That's the natural consequence of the first one. If you're like-minded with somebody, you're going to have the same love. Having the same love, we will love the same thing in matters pertaining to Christ and his church. One another with the same kind of love is, is what he says. That at the essence of the Christian life is that love, and it's, it's that agape love. Remember, we talked about that. It's not a, a quiver in your liver kind of a love. It's a love of choice. It's a love that you make when you marry your bride and you say, I will be committed to you. Well, that's the kind of love. It's a love of choice. It's not based on your emotion. And he says, being, fourth thing, being of the one accord of one mind, being of one accord, one soul, having joined your souls together. It almost speaks of acting as if one, one soul were driving the group. And there's complete harmony there. And then one mind is talking about the purpose, that we should be intent on one purpose as the body of Christ, not all doing our own things, that we want to glorify God, we want to exalt Christ in our community, we want to live lives that are worthy of, in conduct of the gospel of Christ, and we need to be focused on that. We need to have that kind of a, a purpose. You know, I saw a, a Peanuts cartoon, and Lucy basically ran into the room where Linus was watching TV. Lucy demanded that Linus change the channel. I demand you change. I want to watch this show. You change the channel right now. She kind of threatened him with her with her fist, like he didn't. You know, you better change the channel. And Linus said this: "What makes you think you can walk in here and take over like that? Who do you think you are?" And Lucy held up her her five fingers and she said, "These five fingers, and when I put them together, it's definitely a threatening weapon that can be used to take whatever I want." And Linus, in reply, said, "Which channel do you want?" <laughs> And then he looked at his fingers and he said, now why don't you guys cooperate like that? <laughs> Sometimes there's a good thing about being intent on one purpose. When we're all together on something, when we're focused on Christ, we're not focused on all sorts of different things and different uh, agendas. When we come together and say, what does God want our church to be in this community? Then that can be a driving force that works its way out of these four walls into the community in which we live. So he talked about being like Minded. God really wants us to be organized in our team effort. Many years ago, we kind of came up with the idea that, you know what, we're not going to have committees here. We're going to have ministry team. And, and we want to really push that. We want to make sure that we understand that, you know what, if you want to be involved in ministry here, it's not just one person doing one thing all by themselves. We want, want you to be part of a team because there's accountability in a team. There's encouragement in a team. Stop and think what would happen in your marriage. You know, if you ask God to give you that kind of, of unity and that kind of mindset, that, hey, let's organize and be organized as a team to work to further your cause. What would happen in the relationship with your kids if you looked at that as a, as a team effort, even in our church? We want to make sure that we understand that we're together on this. And so spiritual unity is something that Paul addresses 
very clearly. And in verses three and four, that's what we want to look at today before our communion time. You know, this last week we had our piano tuned um, because he put a new string on it and and uh, he said, well, just tune this one string if it gets bad and you know, I'll be back to tune it in about a week or so. I stretches out a little bit. He stretched it some, but, and so I was trying to tune it and you know, I got, I didn't really listen to what the guy said. And so I started tuning multiple strings. This got the whole thing messed up, you know, and even Bob came by with a little tuner thing. So well, here, tune it to this, but piano guy said, you can't tune it to that. That's not what we tune piano. It's kind of weird, <laughs> weird thing. He said, you know, every piano has its own sound and it's not, not, not a, not a thing that you can just jump in there and start tuning things. You have to dampen certain strings before you tune it. And, and he thought I had the right equipment. I just had the wrench. So I'm like, yeah, I got the wrench. I'm good to go. You know, start cranking on these things. And, you know, I can kind of hear if something's out of tune. But it was driving us nuts for the last couple Sundays because this one string was just way out. It reminded me of an illustration in a book by A.W. Tozer in Pursuit of God. And he tells how to gain greater unity. Just reading his quote, he says, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same tuning fork are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to a standard, to the tuning fork, which each one must individually bow. And he talks about believers. So hundreds of worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other as they could possibly be. And, and so it's kind of a, an important point that sometimes unity breaks down when we start looking at each other. But when we look at Christ, our tuning fork, and we tune our lives to him, then we're all in tune together. And I think that that's a, a key point. But this morning, he starts off in verse 3, and he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. And that's the first kind of a, a list of five here. He presents the, the, the right attitudes, you might say, for spiritual unity. If we want spiritual unity, then these are attitudes either that we don't want to possess or we want to possess. There's three that are negative here and there's two that are positive. And it's not surprising to me that the first one he mentions in verse 3 is what? Selfishness. That's the very first one in the list. And if you stop and think about it, selfishness is really the root of every sin. When we become selfish in our desires and we want what we want, you know, it doesn't matter who gets in the way. Well... That leads to other sin. It was by placing his will above God that Satan fell. In Isaiah 14, it tells us that. It was by placing their own wills above God's that Adam and Eve first brought sin into the world. In Genesis 3. And so self-will has really been the heart of every subsequent sin. And so Paul wants us to realize that, you know what, the first thing that you have to look at is don't do anything by selfishness. Through selfishness. Now, there's no verb there in the Greek. Uh, so, literally, it says nothing by way of selfishness. And it really expresses a negative command. And it goes far beyond just acting uh, selfish, I think. It goes far beyond the action. You know, it really... Uh, also to be excluded from our heart. You know, someone can be selfish in their heart as well as in their action. And Paul, the word he used here, selfish ambition, was really, um, uh, it was used earlier in the letter over in, in chapter 1, verse 17, when we looked at that. When he says, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the 
gospel, where's it at? The former, the former preached Christ, verse 16, from selfish ambition. In other words, what they can get out of it. And it's, it's referred to somebody who's a day laborer. And it wasn't a negative term uh, originally in, in the Greek language. But it became to be used to somebody who's just concerned about themselves. They're there to work just for themselves. And, and it's me, myself, and I, and that's it. And it's often used in, in this language of an unfair pursuit and self-serving preservation of political office. And we talked that week, we talked about that, how sometimes politicians must be very selfish people because they're always promoting themselves. But by the New Testament time, this word became used almost as a, as a uh, uh, just an unbridled, selfish desire to do anything. And so it was referred to a lot of times in the, the New Testament concerning quarreling. Why is there quarreling? Why is there fights? Why is this? Because we're selfish. Very key element. Um, it usually carries the idea of building oneself up by tearing someone else down. You know, you've heard it. You get to the top by, you know, basically climbing over the backs of somebody else. You know, knocking them back in the further in the line. One, where one person's gain is derived from another one's losses. And the, that's not the Christian way. That's not what Christ taught. And not only that, but a lot of times, those people that are advancing their selfish ambition in that way, it has the idea that they're doing it with flattery. They're doing it so people think it's okay. They're not just yelling, get out of my way. They're saying, oh, you look so nice today, as they're pushing you to the rear of the line. And you're sitting there going, oh, well, thank you. You know, pretty soon you're standing at the back of the line. You're going, how'd I get back here? We've all dealt with people like that. And I think sometimes we need to stop and say, hey, wait a minute. This may not be legitimate. And so selfishness is a consuming and even destructive sin. Uh, it's a work of the flesh. It's not a work of the spirit. And because this sin, like every other sin, where does it begin? It begins in a sinful heart. That's where it begins. And because it begins in our heart, anyone can commit it. Nobody is uh, you know, immune to this, to having selfishness. Whether it's outwardly expressed or not, doesn't matter. We could be selfish inwardly even when not outwardly manifested, a lot of times this selfishness leads to what? Anger, resentment, jealousy. Because they have something and I want it and I can't have it. I'm not just going to come out and say that, but in my heart, that's how I feel. And over time, that's what that breeds. And no church, no matter how doctrinally correct or incorrect, whatever, is immune to from this, this sin. And so selfish ambition is something that can really tear a church down. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I just want to read a verse from Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 10. There was probably no other church in the New Testament that had uh, a problem in the area uh, of this sin, of selfishness, than the Corinthian church. 
Uh, look at verse 10 and 11. He, Paul writes, Now I plead with you, brethren, he's pleading with them, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. It almost sounds like we're reading Philippians. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you. In other words, somebody told on you. That's what he's saying. I got news something's going on there that's not right. My brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are many contentions among you. There's quarrels among them. And, and there's various factions in this church. And in this church, you go on there, look at verse 12. Now I say to each of you who says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. And he asks the question, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? What he's saying is that, you know what? You got, your focus is totally wrong. Your focus is coming from a selfish heart. And these factions kind of raised up within this church, and it was really tearing it apart. Look over at, at uh, chapter 3, I think it is. Yeah, 3. And he even rebukes them in a stronger way in, verse, in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3. Look at 1 to 3. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people. In other words, I can't even address you as a spiritual person. I can't address you as spiritual, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. They haven't grown. They haven't grappled with, with what God wants them to do or what He's doing in their life or the Word. They were yielding to their flesh. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, Paul says, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And he goes on and he talks about them being of Paul and of Apollos. He calls them carnal. He calls them uh, fleshly almost. It's, it's, it's the opposite of being spiritual. And you say, well, where did that start? It started with selfishness. It started with a group of people looking around and saying, oh, well, look at that. Look at Paul. Let's follow Paul. Oh, you guys are following Apollos? No, I don't think so. We're going to follow Paul. And all of a sudden you have the church divided. And it's a wreck. Now, all these individuals, you look at these folks, Apollos, Peter, Paul, they were faithful leaders. And they were entirely worthy of the congregation's respect, admiration, and all that. Two of them were leading apostles. It wasn't their fault. But the real loyalty of these factions within the Corinthian church was, was their selfishness. They weren't loyal to Christ. Therefore, they were trying to be loyal to, to somebody that Christ raised up. And it didn't seek to, you know, they weren't, they weren't saying, oh, I'm of Paul so that Paul could be built up. They were, they were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. Their, their motivation behind that was so that they could have their little clique. That's what it's all about, to honor those favored leaders. And that, that has no place within the body of Christ. Each of these groups was very self-serving. That's what they were serving. And you know what? Sometimes we go there as believers. I know I go there as, as a believer. You know, what am I going to get out of this deal? What, how is this going to help me? I remember when we were in between churches, we were attending a couple different churches on Sundays. And I remember within the first couple moments of the, the worship service, it would almost dis, depend on whether I was going to be carnal 
and critical or whether I was going to be in the spirit and, and just be blessed. And you know what? It could take the smallest little thing. Maybe the first song they sang I didn't like. <laughs> I'd sit there and go, oh, man, I heard this song a million times. What are we singing this? And, you know, I wouldn't say that outright. But you know what? I mean, the pastor could have got up there and preached a wonderful sermon. I wasn't hearing it. I was still focused on that first song. And I was still, you know, I can't believe it. You know, And that's how we get. We get selfish. Or sometimes the worship was good. And I'd be, the pastor would come up and, you know, turn to, you know, and he stayed a text. And I'd just be, oh, I just heard somebody preach on this. I don't need to be taught this again. I can find something else, you know. And it's not this guy's fault. I mean, you know, I'm just visiting his church. But in my heart, I, I wasn't able to receive what God had for me. And we all go there at times. It's called selfishness. It's called sin. <laughs> it's a deed of the flesh. It's clearly, clearly a deed of the flesh. If you look at, at Galatians 5.19, I think we read this last week. He's talking here about walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And verse 19, he says, hey, you want to know? You want to know whether you're in the flesh or in the spirit? Well, here, you know, he's just real bold. And he says, here, put your, try this on. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, you can't really hide them. They're very basic, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. And you may be sitting there pretty pious right about now saying, oh, that doesn't cover me. I'm doing pretty good. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred. Well, I'm still doing pretty good. Contentions, jealousy. Oh, that one hurts a little bit. Outburst of wrath. Ouch. Selfish ambitions. Oh. Dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. In other words, you know what? Just in case I haven't listed your little sin, anything like any of these belongs right here in this list. I just don't, Paul's just saying, you know what, I'm not going to go on and on and on. So he just puts in there, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the time past. And those who practice such things, what's it say? Pretty, pretty bold statement, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Period. He doesn't say, well, you know, you can, might be able to do these and, and practice them. And he's talking about not falling in one of these areas, because we all fall maybe in one of these areas at a certain time. But practice has the idea, this is your life. This is your lifestyle. And you're saying, hey, you know what? I don't care if I'm jealous. That's who I am. I've tried that sometimes, not in the area of jealousy, but in some of the other areas here with my own wife. You know, that's how God created me. Doesn't work. He always says, yeah, that's right, but that's not who God wants you to be. We're all created in the image of God, but because of the, the sin that we're born with, everything's kind of messed up. So he wants us to come to him on a daily basis and not practice these things. But then he says the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is what? Joy, love, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We shouldn't do that. Paul's very clear there. And selfishness has a way of poisoning every other work that could be done. Spiritual unity. That's been the subject of today's broadcast here on this edition of Graceful Truth, the weekly radio program originating from the pulpit teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church, located in Redwood City, revealing God's grace through God's truth. 
If you would like to review today's program, we have a couple of ways that you can do so. First, you can visit our website and take advantage of the free download there in MP3 form. Simply head on over to our website. You can find us on the web at gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. And you'll be able to download today's message there as well. Or give us a call. We'll get a CD out to you if you wish. 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you are currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up through grade 5. If you would like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Again, that phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us again on the web at gracefultruth.org. And if you would like directions to our church for worship, you can either visit gracefultruth.org for the map and the details, directions, or again, call 650-366-9923. As always, your letters are greatly appreciated as well. Prayer requests comments about the broadcast, questions, feel free to either call us, drop us an email at our website, or again, write to us at 2225 Euclid, Redwood City, California. The zip code is 94061. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. (music) 